You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are on day two of two full weeks of Fly on the Call as we head towards episode 100. Thanks for tuning in to another great episode. Today's guest is Palette Knife, whose music stands out as polished emo with confessional lyricism and healthy dashes of math rock and post-hardcore. Our conversation centers around their debut LP, Ponderosa Snakehouse and the Temple of Bullshit. We discuss the sequencing of the album and crafting it to be a singular experience, the Palette Knife palette, and a last-minute connection with Take This to Heart Records. Enjoy. I feel like the palette knife sound is like really keyed in for a band that's, you know, on only their first full length. And I'm just kind of curious, like what some of those first like writing and recording sessions were like that kind of, you know, shaped what the band became. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, so our, our first EP was, was mostly my, some of my solo songs, me, Alec, uh, being the guitarist and singer from palette knife, uh, where one, once, Chris and Aaron were on board. We kind of treated it as like sort of a backing band situation uh, where we were still kind of trying to find our sound. And that, that EP is actually no longer on Spotify because we were like, yeah, this, this no longer feels like Palette Knife because it was very much kind of like a, a backing band singer songwriter thing. So I think self-preservation was when we are all st- started really writing together, taking our various inspirations. And so once we established that sound with that EP, we kind of took our favorite pieces and parts from that and just cranked uh, it up, cranked it up <laughs> really tried to build it out as much as possible for the album. I mean, especially with like kind of the post-hardcore stuff, because I, like I, I mentioned when I was talking to Cameron last week, like for, or yeah, for Tuned Up, we, we only had screams like on one song on self-preservation as like, kind of, and it was like very low in the mix. And then on uh, on Ponderosa Snake House, we kind of like threw in screams wherever we could, just kind of like give it more edge. Yeah, that's really funny that you said that. Like, that makes it click so much, like, where your sound is, like, kind of coming from. Because I'm like, this, it's like the super clean sound almost reminds me of, like, the trend in pop punk that kind of started, like, the mid-2010s, where it, like, got more clean. But, like, now that you mentioned post-hardcore, I'm like, oh, that that clicks even more for me now. <laughs> We're trying to do this, like, weird hybrid of, like, mm-hmm. post-hardcore influence post-pop-punk, if you will. <laughs> With, like, the Ash of emo. Yeah, well, and math emo, for sure. Yeah, the, the newer stuff is super mathy, which is exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of, like, uh, Ponderosa Stankhouse kind of reminds me of, like, Origami Angel by way of Jail Socks or something like that. Wow, wow. That's, that's, that's really cool. That's yeah. very high price. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I feel like uh, there's like also lyrically this kind of like focus on personal storytelling that kind of, in my mind, reminds me of like early Wonder Years. And I feel like the, I feel like a lot of the music I've been listening to lately doesn't quite have, I don't know, like it is less specific in a way. And, and I feel like that come the, I feel like there's more specificity um, with Palette Knife. Can you talk a little bit about kind of like that style? Yeah, specificity is like super important to me because I I feel like I was, I was locked into kind of uh, a lot of that mid 2000s pop punk gets like away from the specific and it's, it gets kind of uh, all, like the pronouns and everything are like very vague and like so non-specific and then once I started getting into folk punk around like the like late 2010s uh, mixed with like Ben Folds because <laughs> he's super specific in his songwriting. Um, I, I always want to like make sure I'm telling a personal story because I think when you get away from that, it, like when you overgeneralize, I think the, the, the idea is that you're going to reach more people because it's more general. But I think when you really focus in, it, even though it's like counterintuitive that you're going to get more specific to something that someone hasn't experienced, but that in some way that makes it more genuine. Yeah. Also, I feel like you kind of nailed the relatability of the story because like, it's not like you're saying oh this only happened to me like it's very uh i don't know yeah it's very relatable things that happen yeah Yeah. Yeah. especially like in their 20s it's a very 20 visceral like story what are like some of the songs that you've seen people connect with most on the album so far oh that's a good one kids and wigs yeah i mean i guess really been loving kids and wigs and ghibli um studio ghibli has been like the standout hit for everyone probably due to its a mix of its title and just like <laughs> yeah. how visceral the instrumental is. It's probably our like most It's intense. so bitey. Yeah. And what else is funny is probably like the oldest we wrote that song such a long time ago. Yeah, that's the yeah, oldest that's song. the oldest song on the album. Yeah. Like, like written wise. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we wrote that we wrote yeah. that when we wrote self preservation. Yeah, it did. didn't quite make the cut. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't done yeah that's yeah, true, that's true. Like, it was on the done. shelf for a little bit yeah and then we decided to only work with half the song <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, studio ghibli was originally like twice the length and we kind of put it on the shelf for a while and then when we re kind of like tried to rediscover it we we're like oh wait it's fine just being the short and it's fine to like make the the bridge kind of progressive and instrumental and what was it that kind of like made you return to the song uh, we loved playing it in rehearsal. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it was like, if that didn't get you pumped up, then you might as well just leave. Yeah. Like, we, I want to say, we were kind of like touring, touring quotation marks, self-preservation uh, around in Columbus. We would kind of use that as an like transitional like song between two songs. So it was like not really a song. And then we, once we got used to doing that, we were like, oh, wait, we kind of like it. Yes. Just the short length. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that kind of quickly stood out to me on the album is the the references to like other media outside of music, like the studio game Ghibli, Full Metal Alchemist, Harry Potter. Um, what is it that kind of like makes you want to use those as kind of touch points? Um, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like some like nerd like, culture. Yeah, it's yeah. like kind of like nerd culture. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like a buzzword, but <laughs> it's like the idea that like we all are like real humans with real interests. So it's like, why don't, why not express yeah. that in a yeah. song? Like, 
I, I think there's this tendency for people to want to move away from name dropping things because it makes it feel like an advertisement or something. But it's like, no, these are things I care about. Yeah. Like, I, I love these things. So yeah. I'm going to sing about it. But you're like not name dropping because it's the Chamber of Secrets, not the Chamber <laughs> yeah. of Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I feel like uh, I very much relate to that. Like, people are probably sick of hearing me mention that over the last, you know, year and a half, I've been super into jam bands, but I'm like, that's authentically what I'm into. So, hey. <laughs> why not talk about it? Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, going back to like that idea of like the, the very personal references and storytelling, I think um, colorblind sunglasses is one of the ones that. It really falls into that category, especially. Um, can you talk a little bit about that one? Uh, yeah, that's kind of like a, it's that in the song before it on the album, uh, the only difference between Smog and Orange Seaman's press coverage, they're kind of, they're connected. Um, like thematically, it's like the, the first song is about taking this trip to Pittsburgh to see a friend. And then the colorblind sunglasses, like the aftermath of like reflecting on that visit. Um, and we wanted to, reflect on that connection by having them connected up like seamlessly on the album. So on the album version, the, the transitions look completely seamless uh, because colorblind sunglasses is more of a stripped out um, track. We wanted to have that like diegetic car sound stuff in the beginning. We have a, uh, a turn signal that becomes the metronome of the track. And then at the end, it deteriorates. Yeah, yeah. we have like a, a movie reel stopping. Yep. Yeah, oh, I love that. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of funny to me that um, colorblind sunglasses is one of the ones that stands out because also I really love like the color palette of the album artwork and, you know, the way it matches the vinyl as well. Um, how did that side of things kind of come together? Uh, well, it was a lot of exploration. <laughs> um, so Alec and I do all the art for the band um, together. It's always a collaboration. Um, Alec, obviously killed the snake. Um, <laughs> snake king, literally. Yeah, quite literally by cutting his head off. Um, and we went back and forth on a couple color palettes, um, but we landed on this one because we wanted to speak to like kind of the history of the band. Um, like Alec mentioned with our first EP that's no longer available on Spotify, that color palette was like reds and these creams. Um, and then self-preservation was kind of our blue period, if you will. We really dived into that. Um, and so I wanted to speak to those while also bringing in a new era um, by what's up? The yellow. The yellow. Yeah. So uh, when you sent yeah. me, when you sent me a draft with the yellow, I was like, that it's like we're just like it's we're literally adding a palette, like color <laughs> to palette. I, it was like the culmination of everything. Dude, yeah. that's that love that shit. <laughs> so once we committed that, we just built everything else around. That. Yeah. That's cool. Fun fact, I am colorblind. Yeah. <laughs> and I no longer have those sunglasses, but it's okay because they didn't really help. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't one of those videos where you ended up crying. <laughs> and I mean, one thing that like I'm always interested in, but especially kind of lately, you know, due to the fact that we're such late stage of the pandemic is just kind of like the general like timeline of like the writing and recording. What was that process like for you? So, <laughs> um, we had a portion of the album written in late 2019, and then we met with the engineer and said, hey, we want to lock into this album, and he was like, all right, I want you to have this album written in, like, the next three months, Yeah, and we we're like, okay, <laughs> yeah. so we just 
we went into Chris's basement in his old place and we just scrapped in and finished it out. Um, so we had this album fully written in the beginning of 2020. 2020. Yeah. And then we went to the studio in March to yeah. record it. Actually, March, March as, 12th through the 15th, yeah. to be exact, which uh, if you remember what happened, the world yeah. shut down. Yeah. yeah. So we had this album technically done right at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> like we left that studio. I was scared to go into Kroger. Like, think that's that's how we were. Like, is everything okay out yeah. here? I, there's no toilet paper. I'm kind of scared yeah. that there's no toilet paper. I don't know why. Do you get bottled water? Like, what? Someone's taking off the white cloth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was me. <laughs> And I mean, now that things have changed so much in the last year, uh, like how does it kind of like feel to have it out and also be in like such a different place than it was when the recording wrapped up? Uh, it feels it's crazy. It's yeah. like not, I, it's like surreal. <laughs> and honestly, it's weird that like, who can say they got signed during the pandemic yeah. like that's what i think is the oddest that, thing like 20 other bands yeah love. yeah like oh yeah we got signed in 2020 wait what how yeah like, so yeah it's, it's definitely night and day for sure yeah i'm pretty sure that the album was originally supposed to come out like towards the tail end of last year and it seems like yeah. that was kind of when take this tart came into the picture i'm curious how that kind of like came together and shifted things um super random. <laughs> really random we were like we had we were like rolling out at we were about to roll out ads like we had all of our assets and like campaign ready um we were putting out some music videos to promote it and then i think two and a half weeks before we were going to put it out on october 30th um uh, i was reaching out to press people and then joe from take the star records was like hey could i hear that and i was like oh yeah sure like thinking he would just like kind of give us a little little nod or something and then he was like hey let's 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 slow this down here for a second. Yeah. He initially asked us would be would we be interested in postponing the release? And we were like, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> so that's how happened. Yep. Good old slide into the dms <laughs> and how do you kind of like feel about that that change in everything? I mean, we uh, were stoked. Yeah, we're we, stoked. we never really like the thought hadn't really crossed our minds that uh, a label would want to sign us just like from putting out a record. Yeah, because yeah. we're such a young band, only with like two EPs and this being our first debut album. Right. We were shocked that the record label, one of the record labels that we were even looking up yeah. to, would even be interested in signing us on. So we're we were both humbled, <laughs> honored, and stoked. Yeah, <laughs> all the same. Nice. That's also, uh, I love the way things come together like that sometimes. <laughs> uh, and I mean, it, how, how has that kind of like affected, you know, kind of like the way you view yourself as a band and the way you see yourselves moving forward? Oh gosh. I, I still feel like we're the same, we're the same exact I think, I think it's yeah. just like, like, it's, I feel like we just have like a professional, like, yeah, that's, that's like backup, yeah. but like, really it's like, Oh, we got like all the stuff that we used to have to worry about. The label kind of helps us, you know, guides us doing. We don't, we can focus more on like the art and music. I feel like it's like, it's like weirdly validating for, for like a label to like give you a pat on the head and be yeah. like, hey, we think you're really cool. You yeah. yeah. Doing that. Exactly. I'm like, okay, yeah, I will. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like getting like a certification. <laughs> it's something that you've been doing for years on your own. And then finally you have this validation that's like, okay, yeah. I'm legit. Like, I'm yeah. Just, other person said, I know exactly what I'm doing. So yeah. 
So yeah, it's just validating. Yeah, for sure. Nice. Yeah, and uh, I was reading um, in the interview that you did with I'm Tuned Up uh, about the you know, bringing in the second physical guitar uh, for this for the album over self-preservation. And I would love to hear more about the the power caster that you built. <laughs> well, okay, so the, I did build a guitar over quarantine. I think I think uh, Karen may have got that confused. Um, I do, so the power caster was a, like a limited edition model that Fender put out a few years ago. Um, but I did customize it by putting a custom LaCroix pit guard in it. Uh, which, if you've not checked it out, uh, we have a really good video on Twitter, <laughs> a, a video montage of me constructing that to the tune of the Cowboy Bebop soundtrack. <laughs> nice. nice. Um, yeah, it's a, before I had the Powercaster, I was pretty much only kicking with the Telecaster, and then ever since I'm like, no, I, I want the I want the beefier humbucker yeah. tone for, for yeah. live shows. It's got a growl for sure. <laughs> yeah. I love that it's a limited edition model. It makes me right. feel. It makes me feel like our sound is special. <laughs> no, trust me. With all your pedals, our sound is definitely special. <laughs> us, I buy too many pedals, like, <laughs> like most guitarists. Uh, can you tell me some more about like what what are some of your favorites and how do they kind of like affect the sound? Well, the the thing about it is because I'm a designer at heart. Like, if the pedal doesn't look cool, it like doesn't. Work. Art. Uh, so I, I like all of these kind of like smaller brands that have like really cool art, um, but also like really good sounds, obviously. Um, but I think right now one of my favorite pedals is um, the the EQ one. Yes. Yeah. What the, is that the ground control audio noodles. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's like a, it's a three band EQ slash boost, so you can like boost uh, three different EQ ranges uh, of your signal and kind of like cause some breakup too. Uh, but I use it as a, as like in place of an amp EQ. So I have it like the end of my signal chain, uh, but it, it's awesome. And the art's beautiful. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. it's so cool. As, so. as per the requirement, but yeah. all of them are great. You should, uh, you should check them out. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I bought a guitar a couple months ago and I was playing it for like a couple weeks and then I've kind of, I got super busy and I've, I've uh, gotten off it, but um definitely want to get back into it and I, I just even though it goes over my head I love hearing gear talk and another one of my favorites on the album is the the closer full metal crickets can you tell me a little about how that one came together uh that was the last song yeah it was the one Man. song that we knew exactly where it was going to be <laughs> on the album and we just went balls to the wall with it like you ever heard of like a rock opera? I feel like that's <laughs> the closest thing we'll ever get to a rock opera because that is a that whole yeah, that's like three tracks in one. Yeah, it's like a it's like yeah. a three act play sort of. Like yeah, yeah. Different um di different segments and it, like we wanted it to sort of echo Ponderosa Snakehouse because we knew at the same time that was going to be the title track. Um, so we we wanted to incorporate kind of the noodly guitar stuff layered on the midsection. We wanted to have crazy tempo changes, but we kind of wanted to make it even more stark than it is on, on Ponderosa Snakehouse because uh, on, the, on that one, all the transitions I think are pretty pretty sneaky, like in a way. Yeah. Um, but we wanted to be them like super stark and super dramatic on, on Full Metal Crickets. Nice. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned earlier the kind of 
the seamless transition between the only difference in colorblind song glasses. I know you're talking about like the book ending of the, the album. Um, what was the kind of like mindset behind the sequencing of it? Cause I feel like it does flow very well as a, a whole piece. Well, that was a lot of trials, man. That yeah, we was months. <laughs> but our goal was to just make a full album that you could listen to front to back yeah. and have a you know a cohesive experience because that's something that um we all love is a cohesive album right yeah and i think that's something a lot of artists have gotten away from there's more focus on the individual tracks and we obviously want to have that attention to detail but we wanted to also bring that love to the full yeah. album especially yeah. as like vinyl enthusiasts yeah i think it was actually aaron who came up with like the final order because i because once we had all the masters we're listening oh, yeah. to them he, and aaron was would be like doing a different order like every day trying to find the perfect one. Oh yeah and then, sequence like, well finally he came to us and was like this is the order and we, <laughs> i was like yeah wait this is pretty good it's hilarious too because like aaron and i would we would reference under oath because they are one of those bands that the album is the experience and it's just like it's one of those things where it's unforgettable like though when you hear an album front to back and you're like that sounded like just one song like one song but like one thing like it's like it's almost like one entity that mm-hmm. to me is the most important thing in like being in a band writing an album like so oh and we took very a lot of time into figuring that out yeah so and big shout out yeah. to uh jeff martin from sunbury studios oh, yes. for for engineering and mixing everything yes he's, sunbury he's, sound he's, oh yeah. sunbury sound james <laughs> yeah. <laughs> everything yeah yeah <laughs> uh but he's incredible and incredible to work with yeah yep nice yeah it's funny you mentioned you said about kind of like the focus on individual tracks so i was thinking earlier today like i mentioned with uh that I've been really into jam bands lately. And again, I'm going to bring it up, but um, (laughs) it's like, that's something that's so interesting to me about kind of like the switch to streaming services is that, you know, an album can be whatever a band wants it to be. Like it can be, or a release can be anything a band wants it to be. It could be an EP, it could be singles. It could be, you know, a two hour album if you wanted, because you don't really have to worry about kind of like, you know, the bang for your buck or the constraints of like physical media. And you mentioned kind of like wanting um, the the vinyl lovers to you know have something as well. As far as like the the A side and the B side, was there was there thought to that? Oh, one hundred percent. Because we yeah, <laughs> on colorblind sunglasses, we have that uh, fake like movie reel ending kind of deteriorating sound effect. Uh, so we we wanted that to be the ending of side A, um, especially because I feel like. Uh, Sorry I Snore just kind of has this really natural like swell in to the second mm-hmm. half of the record for mm-hmm. side B. Um, yeah, and it worked out perfect with like the the amount of time. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I remember when we were talking about it. Like it was like perfectly uh, yeah. this the first six and the last four. It was like the perfect amount of split time. Mm-hmm. Or is it five? Five. Five. Six five. Oh my bad. Yeah, six five. Uh, I thought you were the oh, math guy. Oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> no, that, that's math rock. Not math. <laughs> math rock. <laughs> rock. I just remember not to go back to the, the the previous question of song order, but we we I remember we wrote uh, the tail end of the album like pretty closely together. Like Tiffany's, oh, TFW, yeah, yeah, yeah. Candy Wife, and Full Metal Crookets were like the ones that we were like really trying to bust out before yeah. we, we had to head into the that's studio. Yeah, that worked out. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why out. like some people have some people have said that like those those last three tracks really 
like really flow. Yeah, that's so cool. That's probably why. Those are my favorite songs. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, and then I, I always like to wrap up the same way, which is by asking for a piece of advice or something you've been thinking about, whatever it is that you would like to share, whether it's music or life or anything else. Man, oh, I love uh, these questions. <laughs> Can I go first? Yeah, okay. I, I will Here say I I, I'm 28 years old. I've been playing music since I was 12. And, you know, I'm nothing special. But, and, you know, we thank God I found these guys. These guys are fucking amazing. But persistence is my advice to every human being out there. If you love something, just do it till you are dead. Um, I guess I'm gonna build off of that. Something that I was thinking about um, is that never give up on your dream. I never thought that at 28, I would be signed in a band releasing my first record and it's never too late. Yeah, You're never too old to do what you wanted to do when you were 16, 14 or whatever. So I'm finally living my uh, sixth grade dream. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. That's it's happening. <laughs> um, mine, I, mine's like kind of like a general creative advice that it would be, if, you, if you're trying to like get better at a type of skill, whether it's like a, a, a type of art or type of style of music or, or really anything creative, force yourself to create like no matter if it's good or bad because as long as you're getting something on the page or like getting something recorded like you're going to be improving your ability so like always always make and there you go palette knife definitely check out ponderosa snake house and the temple of bullshit if this conversation caught your ear because it's one hell of an album don't forget to tune back in tomorrow for another episode and one i'm particularly excited for i'm talking to matt wilson about his newest project near dark as well as a 15th anniversary discussion of Mutiny by Set Your Goals. That was one of the foundational releases of my discovery of rock music as a whole, so I'm really stoked. Dig it. Find the Call is brought to you by Sound Talent Media. A special thank you, as always, to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FlyingTheCallPop. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at FlyingTheCallPod at gmail.com. I hope you're strapped in because these next two weeks of Flying the Call are going to be a wild ride. Hello out there! Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!